We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you very much for watching, for listening, for following, for subscribing. I appreciate y'all. Today is a very special episode, uh, not for one, but for two reasons. Number one, today marks the six-year anniversary of Talking Buffalo. It was six years ago to this date. Uh, I had Sal Capaccio on with me, my first ever guest. It was called Moranalytics Podcast. Back in those days, and we were off and running six years later, still here. And uh, the second reason why I'm really excited about this episode is this is our fourth annual Buffalo Podcasters Roundtable. I have three of the very best, most creative Buffalo sports content, Buffalo Bills content creators that there are in the business today. Greg Thompson from Cover One. Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings, and my man Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. Uh, what's going on? I don't even know. You know what? Doing these with three other guests, I don't know about you guys. Like, you have your routines, and usually it's either I do something solo or I have a guest on. Kind of having four people on is a little different. In fact, I think this might be the first time in a full calendar year since I've had three guests on. Man, let's start with real quick here, Red. My man, Joe Marino, besides being that daily grinder, Joe's one of the most popular dudes when it comes to Bill's coverage, mainstream podcasting or otherwise. What's going on, buddy? How you doing, man? Doing well, Pat, man. It's good to be on with you. Congratulations on six years. And Thanks. it's uh, pretty impressive that we've been able to do this. It's the fourth time. Uh, that's That's pretty rare. That's pretty rare stuff. So awesome to be back doing this with you guys again. Yeah, and I appreciate you having on. And, and Greg, my man, the, the smart guy, the contract guy, the chemistry guy, one of the most likable people in the Buffalo Bills content space. What's going on, dude? How are you? Yeah, it's the same as Joe. It's, it's crazy. We've done this uh, this many times. It is one of my favorite conversations because it's normally we're 
neck deep in you know bill's roster sure. construction philosophy or whatever debating on some uh you know the feasibility of trading this guy or cutting that guy and it's nice to talk about other things every once in a while so i, I was looking forward i was looking forward to this one yeah and i, I gotta tell you too i gotta plug your, your salary cap extravaganza that was just on last week i watched that with you and a bunch of the guys from cover one great stuff as always oh, and then my man bruce nolan the bruce exclusive uh the character, the gimmick, which is funny because <laughs> you see, if you're watching on the video side, you get the static image. You all know why Bruce Nolan is the gimmick, but what you learn and get by listening to him every week is certainly not. What's going on, Bruce? How you doing? Today, I've come to realize that if I was a UFC fighter, it would be Bruce the gimmick Nolan is what it would be. <laughs> Because I have has been I have been classified as such by Pat Moran. So thank you for that wonderful idea, Pat. I appreciate it. In the event that that is not already my job and becomes my job in the future, then I know exactly what to do. <laughs> All right. So I, I kind of want to set the stage for people who might not have heard you know us get together over the last three years previous to this. This is an episode where we really don't talk about the Buffalo Bills, even though these guys do a great job of covering the team. Today's more about uh, just kind of getting the process down of podcasting itself. I know there's a lot of people out there listening or watching who have their own podcast. Some people who may be interested, you know, in having a podcast someday. But this this episode is kind of about the process of, of these three gentlemen, how they, you know, create content and, and just podcasting in general. I, I feel like there's a lot to learn from hearing from you guys, including myself. I always I'm looking to learn. And let me start here. We'll kind of go like in random order. And if, by the way, if somebody wants to piggyback off what someone else says, feel free to jump in. There's no kind of like real structure here, but I wanted to start by asking, and I'll start with you, Greg, you know, how has podcasting changed for you over the last handful of years, whether it's just the content of your show, you know, um, the audience, just your style, stuff like that for you, how has podcasting changed over the last handful of years? Um, I, I think for me, it's been the comfort level that comes with kind of realizing what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and not feeling the need to have an opinion on everything, not feeling the need to be a source of information on everything. Uh, it's one of my most common uh bits of whether it's advice or you know feedback especially as you know we've kind of grown things that cover one and, and brought on newer more uh up and coming uh show hosts that's always the the biggest piece that i i give to people is when you're starting out you feel like you have to have a strong opinion and informed take on everything and getting to the point that I am now where part of it is not caring <laughs> anymore, uh, but also just being like, yeah, I know some stuff I'm good at. There's some things that I, I've established that, hey, I know how to talk about this. I don't have to know about everything. I don't have to be the expert on everything. And it's okay to acknowledge that I'm certainly not. I, I'm for sure not the most informed voice on several things. And I think helping people reach that point of, hey, don't feel obligated to be the source of information on everything you do uh, is a big thing for me. And, and now 
you know, oh, coming up, I, I haven't quite hit six years where you are. I'm coming up on it, uh, but five years plus and in, in getting into the the niche and the areas that I feel um, I do bring some value. Uh, that's the comfort that comes in some of the other space of not feeling like I need to be the expert on everything and that, yep, nope, that's not my thing. You probably want to go ask this person. He's really good at that. Um, and being able to shine a light on other people and feeling comfortable doing that has been the biggest change for me. What about you, Bruce? I think Greg's right. I think apathy is a superpower, specifically selective apathy is a superpower and being able to let go of this. Well, I, I, I can't know about everything all the time, I think is is valuable. I think the environment's changed a little bit. Um, all four of us came on board in the span of about 18 months to 24 months. And I think that what we had there was we had a rapid acceleration in the market of podcast for a while there, literally everybody had a podcast and everyone was trying to scoop up as much real estate as they possibly could in the space. And since then it is kind of normalized a little bit. And the people who did it, they may have done it for six months, eight months, 10 months, a year and a half. And then they were like, you know what, this is a fun hobby. It was a cool thing. I don't want to do it anymore. And so the, the area has sort of normalized in the market. And I think that because that has happened, I think that that's an opportunity for a little bit less friction in the environment, which is good. I am a very frictionless sort of person. Very, let's just all sing, you know, kumbaya around the s'more, whole hands, you know, make, you know, uh, fried pickles and whatever we got to do to enjoy our mm. time together. So I think that with the stabilization of the market and the economy of podcasting in the space, I think comes a lot of that, that peace. Uh, in much greater quantities than it was before. I think that's changed. So I think the market's changed. Um, for me personally, I think part of what Greg said is really important that you become more comfortable in your own skin. For me, I had to be more comfortable in Bruce's skin. And I think that that's important because I've always been really comfortable in my skin. But as you start podcasting, there's a cadence, there's a style, there's a, yeah, I'm a weirdo and that's fine. Like, I, I've accepted that there's people out there who are going to listen to my show and you've got to be kidding me. What is this guy talking about? Like we had a fairly in-depth sociological discussion a couple weeks ago about human behavior and the way that we perceive things. And the next episode was about correlation coefficients. And we were talking about lines on a chart. And like, I'm just going to go with it. And it, I, it doesn't have to be for everybody. And that's fine. But if you're going to do this, this amount of time, if you're going to do it for this amount of time, you better daggone well actually like it, right? And so I'm going to talk about the things that I like and that I want to talk about because I've been doing this for too long now to not like it. And if you're constantly trying to push yourself in this space where I'm going to do something to appeal to the masses or I'm going to do something to be something that I'm not, this is going to get really old really fast because there's days when you don't want to do it. And if you don't want to do it and you have to force yourself into being somebody else that you're not comfortable with, then you're going to have a really hard time. So I think that the market has changed, but also I've changed inside the market. Um, if, Bruce, if Bruce is frying pickles at his cookouts, I need to, I, I'm missing something. <laughs> Bruce, you missed an opportunity there to reference uh, grilled watermelon. Uh, I so, did. Yeah, I really I, did. Yeah. I honestly, I am disappointed. <laughs> Before I get to Joe, uh, I want to point out something too. Most people already know this, but for the few that don't, you know, I just like I went on a cruise for an example, and I just spent a week and I had episodes pre-recorded, but I really didn't need to. The difference, and I, we've said this before between Joe and the rest of us, is this is Joe's living. 
This is what Joe does for a living. So obviously it is different for Joe. I wanted to point that out for everybody who may not have known that. And one other qu quick little uh, fun fact before I, before I get to your answer, Joe. So I had Joe with me last summer live at uh, Imperial Pizza. I, I did a series, had a lot of guests throughout that summer and fall at Imperial Pizza in South Buffalo. Shout out Imperial Pizza. I got to say this. This is the God's honest truth. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the show today. I truly mean this. I had a pretty impressive roster of guests that were on that series, man. I had Stevie Johnson there. I've had Eric Wood there. I had John Fina there, uh, Sal Capaccio, Tim Graham, Tyler Dunn, a bunch of other people. God's the honest truth. When Joe was there, probably the most well-received, most interested fans actually physically were of anyone I had on. Now, Joe was there with, with your brother and people were coming up to you like almost like celebrity, like man, wanting to get pictures with you, uh, hang out, talk to you, get a copy of your book. It was just, it was fun to see. It was pretty wild to see. And that ended up being like the second most watched or listened episode of all of 2023. Anyway, I just want to throw that out there and yeah, give man. Joe some props because it was, it was kind of fun to see you have that, uh, that status, man. People were just really interested in, in meeting you and coming up there. And there were people who were coming from out of town that actually went to Imperial that night to, to meet up with Joe. Anyway. Want to throw that out there? Never <laughs> happens to me, Joe. Never well, people love well, people Bruce. love Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Pat. I, I enjoy doing that with you. And Bill's Mafia has been so good to me, and I'm I'm very yeah. very grateful for that. Uh, how has podcasting changed for me? Well, it's become a, about a lot more than just podcasting. I, I certainly do my podcasts, and I love it. But I find myself spending a lot of time building community around the podcast. I've recently started a subtext community. I've recently started a discord community around lockdown bills where listeners participate in texting with me, participate in a community of people that want to obviously talk about the bills and other things that we're interested in. But the common denominator is they all listen to lockdown bills. And I think that has been so fun to not just, I mean, I'm literally looking at a wall people. It's a, there's a computer screen three inches behind it is a wall. It's so cool to no longer just be me talking to people that I, I know that are, they're there, but to actually start to connect with them. Uh, that has been huge. And it's it's been a, a big lift. There's no question about it. And I've had to reimagine how I spend my time. But that community component, I think, has been really important for me and a, a huge shift in how I spend my time in the work that exists around the podcast. Good answer. Do you guys feel a little bit spoiled in a sense because we all primarily cover the Bills? I mean, you guys exclusively cover the Buffalo Bills. And over the past five, six, seven years, they've been good. And how different do you think it would be for you if you were covering a, you know, a perennial losing team like, say, the Buffalo Sabres? Not just in terms of maybe your enthusiasm for wanting to to talk about the team, and we can use the Sabers. You can use an NFL team that just hasn't been good in a long time. But also, I would think anyway, the fans. You know, the fan relationship with with the Bills, generally speaking, at least especially during the season, regular season, anyway, is pretty good because the team is good. Fans are in a better mood. The team is playing well. They're in contention every year. Whereas, you know, I kind of not to the extent of the Buffalo Bills, but I follow the Sabers. I talk about the Sabers and. People who are primarily Sabres fans are just disconnected from the team. We were talking 
for a couple of minutes before we started recording, like completely checked out on the team right now. I would imagine it would be a lot tougher to have a, a daily show like Joe DiBiase has locked on Sabres. You know, talking about a team that just stinks every year, quite frankly, with the exception of last year. I, I guess I'll start with, with Bruce. Do you, do you feel maybe a little bit spoiled or, or maybe not necessarily spoiled, but maybe the gig's a little bit easier because you're talking about a team that's been good since you've been doing it? It would have been, I think, worse for the acceleration of listener numbers. I think it would have been worse for, uh, you know, from a numeric adoption standpoint. Mm -hmm. I actually think there may have been a silver lining from an intellectual honesty standpoint, because I think that when the team loses and when they struggle, that's when it's more important than ever that you pay attention to what you're consuming, because it's a lot easier to be wrong with no consequences when the team is good. It's a lot easier to be intellectually dishonest with no consequences when the team is good. People will let you off the hook because the team is good. And so you're willing to consume a lot of things and people don't remember things that you were overly or unnecessarily optimistic about that you got wrong. They remember the things that you were negative about that you got wrong, right? They don't remember that you were pumping up a specific draft prospect that you never actually watched, right? And then... They ended up taking him and it was bad. They remember the, the players that you said, well, you know, I don't think they're very good. And they ended up being good, right? That's just the way the, the community sort of works in the, in the, especially in the NFL community. And so I admit that I got spoiled by the fact that the acceleration of my listener base was probably encouraged along by the fact that the team was good. In the long run, over when I say long run, let's let's assume I was doing it for 15 years, right? The chances are chances of your team being bad for 15 years is really, really rare. Unfortunately, the Bills managed to do it. Uh, what? But, <laughs> but historically speaking, it's very, very rare. So I think over the course of the long run, it may have actually benefited from weeding out a lot of the people who maybe weren't delivering the most intellectually honest of content. And so you know me, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, right? I'm just, no, I'm not an optimist, but I'm finding the silver lining in the fact that if we would have hypothetically come into this situation in a, in a, in a less than desirable or less than optimal Buffalo Bills record that I think there could have been a hidden, a hidden lining there. That would have been good. How about you, Joe? I wonder about this all the time, Pat. I really do. Um, because I, I don't live in Buffalo, um, but I visited a lot throughout the drought years and used to really get excited about turning on WGR when I got close enough to listen to it. And I remember listening to the callers and thinking to myself, there's no way I could talk about this team. There's no, there's no way these people would want to hear what I have to say. I just didn't connect with, with what they were saying. And I had a lot of very strong, of course, I had a lot of very strong opinions about all of it, right? Uh, Mike Malarkey and Chan Gailey and Dick Duran and, and Rex Ryan. I had a lot of strong opinions about those people. And one thing that I've learned recently is that when I'm critical about this team, people don't people don't love that, right? They get very defensive. Uh, like imagine saying something bad about Josh Allen, and I'm just being honest about what I see, right? Like uh, sometimes I don't particularly care for some of his turndowns or something, some critique that I would have for him, and people get very upset by that. And I wonder if those defenses were the same back then or were people more open to criticism um, because I had a lot of it and they deserved a lot of it. And I, I think I came at the right time. And I wonder if and when there's ever a lull in, in the bills, uh, what that would look like. And 
how that would uh, be received. But I, I do, I do have a lot of curiosity about if I would have had success during that period of time, because I wasn't, my fan goggles were not very thick. I knew exactly what the team was. I knew exactly what the problems were. I didn't believe in these clown coaches, but, but like, did the people, did, did ever, did people buy into them? I was on Charlotte sports radio two years ago. I will never forget this. The Panthers are bad. They've never had consecutive winning season. This is literally what we're talking about. Right. And I went on Charlotte sports radio and I said, Guys, I don't think Matt Corral is going to be your franchise quarterback. They just drafted him. They just traded up for him. They're like, you know, can Matt Corral be the guy? He's like, no, I don't think he can be the guy. And when I tell you, I felt like the city of Charlotte wanted to come to my house and light it on fire. <laughs> I didn't believe that Matt Corral, who, by the way, last week just signed with the USFL. Lest he didn't make it to year three in the NFL, let alone being the Panthers franchise quarterback. You know, they were very defensive. Would Did, did Bills fans have that same level of defense towards, okay, you can't talk bad about what's going on here when it's just obviously bad. So I, I speculate on this a lot. I'm glad I showed up when I did. <laughs> Greg, let me ask you, because I think of you and, and your partner, Aaron Quinn. And like again, if you were covering the, the Sabres, I just feel like, especially I'm, t- I'm thinking about Aaron in my mind as I ask you this. It's just the life being sucked out of him, having to talk about the Sabres once or, or twice a week during the season. But on a serious note, like what's your take on that covering a team that's been pretty good? So I think we have a a very not falsely inflated because it's been reality, but we have a very slanted view of what our experience is. When you're only covering a team that has only ever had moderate success, like obviously we haven't won a, a trophy, um, haven't made it to a Super Bowl, but if you know all the different things that we talk about. Playoffs five out of six years, four straight years, double digit wins, four straight years, division championship, four straight years, the playoff win. There's the expectations and pressure, and we all analyze that on the show. There's also an incredible buoy of interest. We were talking pre show about the drop off in what happens to listenership, downloads, views, clicks after the season ends, uh, after a win versus after a loss. The number of people who have started podcasts, you know, even not sustained for a long time, but for a while could do it based purely on, you know, you guys know how social media works. You, you pound your chest and have to figure out a way to have, you know, a stronger, more ridiculous take than the most ridiculous take. And you can just, you know, talk flamboyantly about the team because most of the time they're going to back you up people that before and to Joe's point, it might have been, more of a downward spiral if the proliferation of podcasting opened up in 05 and started to build through there and we went through you know maybe not all uh you know 17 years of the drought but say someone had started a show and was in year 12 13 14 15 you know we talked about our, our dear friend Drew Gear and that they've been doing this for eight or nine years yeah and that that means that only like three of those years, four of those years were pre playoff run and pre McDermott and pre Josh Allen. I think that we are in that sense, incredibly spoiled and not entitled. Cause I think all of us know the reason that all of us are still doing this is we realize how much work goes into doing this and are willing to continue to do that work. Um, there are a ton of people right now who do shows who would not through that stretch. 
they would not have continued to put the work in. They would not have been willing to. I'm going to tell myself that I would, and I don't even know if that's true. I don't know if I would have. I don't know if I would have kept doing this and would have kept uh, grinding through it. I'd like to tell myself that I would, but I'm honest enough and self-aware enough with myself that I don't know. I might not have. I might not have wanted to put myself through that over and over and over again. And, um, you know, we joke about the conditional element of I'm so used to the off season being the good part of the season because you just have the unlimited hope of like, oh, well, maybe if we sign this guy and oh, what if we draft that guy and knowing the season wasn't going to be that great, but you had like, I almost had to unlearn that being, oh yeah, the the season is a fun part now. Watching the football is the fun part now. <laughs> and so I, I think I would have liked that part during the drought era of I would have I would have loved the roster construction element and all the salary cap side of it and everything like that. But I I might not have made it through all those seasons and the you know imagine if you we had done shows after the six and zero start and then dropping eleven out of the last twelve or whatever the finish was that season. Seven and um, nine, yeah, yeah. So to to finish seven and nine after a six and zero start like. That 12 game stretch, I, that might have broke me as a person. <laughs> like, I don't know if I could have done that post game shows losing 11 out of 12. I, I might have just been, it would have been like uh, Bob Euchre in Major League by the end of the season, just openly drinking during the show. And <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, I think everyone's temperament would matter too if you're covering a team that's a losing team because of the comments you would get from the podcast, you know, tweets on social media. So I want to actually get to in a few minutes. One thing that I've, noticed over the last couple of years about all three of you. And, and I like this a lot. And again, this being the fourth time, fourth year in a row, we we've gotten together and do this. I'll go back to even maybe say the first time we did this and you guys, it may matter to you. Maybe it, it doesn't on a personal level, but kind of talk about the respect that I see it. So I know it for sure with, with all three of you, the respect that you guys have earned with the mainstream media. You know, I remember early on with podcasts and it's still like that to an extent, but it used to almost kind of be like a battle. You have the mainstream media, you know, we're in the locker room. We got the access, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then you got the podcasters and there are a lot of fans sided with podcasters even early on because it kind of felt like you were the voice of the fans in a lot of way. But anyway, through the years I've noticed from talking to a lot of mainstream media people too, is that the respect that all three of you guys and others in podcasting, you know, get from them, from the men and women as well. Um, I've, I've heard it. I've seen it a lot. I've never really heard anybody from the mainstream media, whether it was on camera conversations I've had with them, whether it was off camera, just nothing but positive things to say about you guys. And I hear you guys on, on WGR a lot. You know what I mean? And this is not, you know, no exaggeration. You guys are, all three of you are on that level now where I, I, I look at mainstream media and there's just a, a lot of respect between them and you guys just talk about that, like going on GR and just being feel like you're part of that community now as well. If that matters to you. This business, like every other business is a relationship business. Every business is a relationship business, right? Unless you're mm -hmm. off by yourself in a specific, you know, fishing cabin on top of the ice and it's just you and the fish and that's it. And I guess the relationship between you and the fish matters at that point, but every business is a relationship business. And you know, I don't really have a lot of interest in playing politics because playing politics is a matter of ambition, but I do have an interest in playing nice in the sandbox. That is important to me. 
mm-hmm. um, because people are connected. You you might think that you're arguing with this one person, but you're arguing with this one person and it devolves into a big nonsensical fight between you and, and a media person. And then that person's friend is affected. And then that person's colleague is affected. And then now it's brand versus brand is affected. And that it, it, it spreads. It's an amoebic sort of parasitic thing that destroys relationships and it hinders my ability to do my job. And I'm not out here to try to, you know, make friends with everybody I possibly can. But I certainly don't want to just unnecessarily start setting fire to every bridge in the world because you don't know where those bridges go. And you don't know when in your future you're going to need to drive over them. And you don't know who else is on that other side. And so we're just unnecessarily antagonistic, especially in the age of social media, because it's always about, well, I have to be right and you have to be wrong. And then we're both fighting, but we're not really fighting each other. We're fighting for public opinion. We're fighting in a gladiatorial arena and everyone around us on social media is watching. And so it's like, we're not even fighting for our own benefit. We're fighting for their attention. And it doesn't have to be like that. And it shouldn't be like that because we're going to talk about this later when social media, but we we think social media is like this massive acquisition tool. And it's not Mm -hmm. like you winning or losing on social media doesn't matter. People like it, it doesn't matter at all. It's not an acquisition tool. It's a relationship tool. And we're not using it for intended purpose because we continually misunderstand what it actually is for. And so we set fire to these relationships. We say horrible things. We're always out to antagonize and poke each other and say mean things in the comments. And it ends up becoming this brand war thing. And then it just damages our ability to do our jobs. And that's not what I want to do. So for me, it matters because there isn't anything about this that isn't a relationship-based business. I have no idea what Bruce is talking about. My social media experience is only ever positive. Um, (laughs) You know, know, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do it? I think that there's, go ahead, Joe, I'll, I'll I'll let you, you jump in here. I think it's healthy. um, And and I'm happy that these, there's good respect between, uh, us here and, and the mainstream people. And I, I think that happens in other markets and with people that aren't on this panel. Um, I've said to all of you guys, at least, and other people that I've interacted with, I don't really believe there's a thing called competition in this space. I, I really don't. I mean, I think there's room for everybody. And I think that you're going to produce your content in the way that makes sense for you. We all have different skill sets. That's an important thing to acknowledge. Um, I might not be the best at curating sources and breaking news and, you know, doing what it takes to get scoops, right? That's not going to be my thing. Um, but there's other things that I can do that, uh, are bringing value to the space. And so I think once you can recognize that and realize that there's enough ears out there and there's enough eyes out there for everyone and just literally just do your work. And if there's value, people will find it and you can complement what the space already has or what it doesn't have. Right. And so I think that's kind of the way that I look at it. I think anybody that's advancing the conversation is good for the space. And so I, I try to be a, a an ambassador and, and supporter of, of anyone in this space that I think does a quality job. Yeah. I think that there's, it would be disingenuous to say that it's not flattering to be acknowledged. Everyone wants to be acknowledged, whatever space that you're in. If you put time and effort into something, having other people who care about and value that thing 
acknowledging your contribution to it is a very fulfilling feeling. Like we all want that in whatever we do, whether that's professionally, whether that's our family, whether that's coaching our kids, whether that's at church, right? whatever in environment you may be in, if you put time and energy into passions into something and you see other people that care about that thing and acknowledge your contribution to it, that's a very nice feeling. So, um, pretending that it's not or saying, Oh, it's no big deal. Like would be disingenuous. It's very nice. It, it is a very nice feeling. I also think it's part of the reality of the evolution of media. I mm. think that many of the people that I respect the most are the people who have taken the time to understand new areas. Um, I'm, I'll, I'm comfortable saying this now because he's not in that role any longer, but I, I had a great relationship with former uh, Buffalo News editor Josh Barnett. And yeah. his his interest in the evolution of new media always struck me as very interesting and, and that I love talking with him and, and the conversations we would have. Um, and he's gone on to a new role at the Sports Business Journal. He's going to do an awesome job over there as well. But people who are um, to take the, the line from, uh, you know, Ted Lasso that, you know, be curious, not judgmental. I think that those are the people I've had the best experiences with. And whether that's uh, a guest spot on some other show, whether that's, uh, you know, being on WGR, going on, you know, Sportsnet uh, up in Toronto, lots of other stations, having people reach out to me that I wasn't familiar with when they're looking for a guest on an upcoming show about the bills. I'm like, Oh, how'd you even know I exist? Like I, that's, you know, that, that is a very flattering feeling that like, Oh, I registered somewhere on their radar as a person that they would value my opinion about an upcoming matchup. That's a very flattering feeling because it <clears throat> at a minimum, it, it validates the time and effort and preparation and everything that goes into it. Um, and, and that I've, I've fooled them into thinking, I know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but ultimately it goes into that opening comment I made about the comfort level into, I think it, and it aligns perfectly with, with what Joe said, the more people gain a comfort level in talking about what you're good at, talk about what, you know, pour yourself into that specialty, into that thing, into the thing that you're comfortable with, people will find that and people will value that. Um, and the further you spread yourself and the more thinly you spread yourself as a subject matter expert on all subjects, the less that's mm. going to resonate and connect with people. Um, and that if, you know, when people have certain topics that come up, I know that's what they're going to reach out to me for. And that's great. And, and I'm comfortable with that. And I don't need to be more than that because I know, Hey, that's my lane and I'm good at that. Um, and that's, if that's connected and resonated with people, that's a cool feeling. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, I am back here on this sixth anniversary anniversary edition of Talking Buffalo. Greg Thompson, cover one, Bruce Nolan, the Bruce exclusive, Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. All right, so for years now, people tune in, whether they're watching, they're listening, they, they hear your shows, they watch your shows. We all know that you know you get more comfortable and more confident in your delivery and all that. But even after all these years and all the shows that you guys have done. Talk about for people again, because part of this episode is kind of aimed towards podcasters or people who might want to podcast or people who are just interested in podcasting, generally speaking, or content creating, I should say. Talk about maybe one or two of the things that you guys still find yourself struggling with a little bit from time to time, even after all these episodes and all these years. Let's uh, We'll start with you, Bruce. This is going to sound very strange given the discussion about me being the gimmick earlier, but... I think a part of me still has imposter syndrome after all this time. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I think that I understand my niche in the space, but it's hard to explain it and make it sound like it has value. So I love to watch film, right? But I'm not Eric. I love the draft, but I'm not Joe. I love the salary cap stuff, but I'm not Greg, right? And so the thing that we just talked about, how you know, you can be uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that's actually probably not a good thing, right? That's a thing that I worry about literally all the time, right? Because my niche has always been very philosophically based, right? That's the spot where I shine. That's the spot. People go, okay, we're going to reframe this thought. We're going to process this stuff. I can do an entire 30-minute pod on some sort of logical tenant that busts into and intersects with the Buffalo Bills. And that's a very strange niche. And so you understand and are easily accessible to the information how those other things have value. It's harder to explain and to explain to yourself how your talent, your niche has value. It's really, really difficult to try and explain it to somebody else, but it's also difficult to explain it to yourself. And so I still have those moments. And then when I have those moments, the way I get out of those moments is go, I don't care. I like doing it. And that's good enough for me. That's the way I talk myself out of that. When I have a moment, I go, who cares? It doesn't matter. I don't care. I like doing it. I had a good time recording this podcast. I thought it was intellectually stimulating and that's good enough for me. And I'm going to walk away from it and go, I'm going to listen back tomorrow. And I'm going to think that was fun. And then I'm going to take some notes and I'm going to try it again next week. And that's all it has to be. And so that's the cycle that I go through frequently. It's a little bit like somebody who's going through like a midlife crisis and they'll have like some existential dread and then they'll come around and be like, all right, right. And then 
two weeks from now, they'll have a little bit of existential dread again, and they'll come around. It's very similar to that, except it happens weekly, and it's about podcasting. <laughs> Bruce, quick follow-up question, too, because I know a lot of people want to know this. Has there ever been a time where you have at least considered dropping the gimmick, so to speak, letting people know who you really are. I remember one time where you, we had a little promotion going where if you had a certain amount of followers, you're going to reveal an elbow, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But have you ever, have you ever at least gave thought to possibly saying, you know what, I'm not Bruce Nolan, I'm so-and-so, and this is what it is. Have you ever, has that ever crossed your mind? Or are you just completely 100% content to, to, to keep doing what you do right now? It has never crossed my mind. No, not a, sing not a single time. I think it's, I think that distinction is extremely important to me uh, on an emotional level. I think it's really important for me to have the distinction between Bruce Nolan and whatever my real name is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a value to me mentally. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it. And I have a, I have, you never say never. Right. But I have a very, very hard time imagining a world where that's not the case. All right. See, I'm way more vain than you, man. If I had the fan base that you did and the respect that you did, I'd want everyone to know how I was. That's just me, though, being vain as hell. Anyway, Joe, uh, what are your thoughts? A couple things. And now you're doing video, you know, every mm -hmm. day, too, along with the audio. And I know that was a process as well. But even to this day, what are a couple of challenges that you still have? Uh, two things come to mind. First of all, and maybe this would surprise you guys. And maybe I've said this in the past. I was wondering if I'd said this in the past. I am nervous every single time. Every single day when I hit record, I got to get myself like in a place where I'm like, okay, your show's good. You have a good outline. If this is the only time somebody ever listens to you, it will be good enough, right? They'll want to come back. Uh, and that's, I do two daily podcasts, locked on NFL scouting, locked on bills every single time I'm nervous. And I think that's healthy to an extent. Um, I, I think if you think you arrived and you're just God's gift to podcasting, well, <laughs> let me tell you what time, time to get humble. But no, I, I have I come in with a healthy nervousness every single day. Um, I don't know if that's something I, I it's I guess the word struggle invoked me to think, yeah, you know what? Every single time before I push record, I'm like, okay, here it is. I I gotta have clear thoughts and and hope that this lands. The other thing that I think um I need to do a better job of, and I I wonder if my daily model gets in the way of this. I don't do a good enough job marketing my content or like splicing it out, creating reels, having a presence on TikTok, having more of a presence on Instagram, doing anything on Facebook. I, I mean, I just don't do a good enough job. And I think the, I don't know, I couldn't tell you why it's probably just lazy. Like, I just don't feel like taking the time to consider, okay, what 90 seconds or 60 seconds was clippable that would be potentially good for, um, not just promoting that episode, but maybe giving people a taste of how I communicate and, you know, try to find my next listener. So I think that nervousness, I hope that doesn't go away. I, I like that about me. It's a little bit annoying, but I like that. Uh, but I think it's a fair to, to reference as a struggle, but you know, I think I could do a better job of helping myself with some of my, the ways that I market my, my content. Okay. I think both guys touched on the same areas that I would go to one on you know, not wanting to feel uncomfortable or that I have to put myself into a space of like, oh, hey, everybody's talking about this. I better have a take on it. Um, you know, and and some of that is is realistic in in that, hey, yes, I mean, I need to remain relevant, but not forcing myself out of my you know sphere of of knowledge. And I think the other piece that that Joe touched on is is another one for me. The most tactical uh, for me is 
just the evolution of social media and the internet and technology. Um, I will say, uh, I'll give kudos to, to my, my business partner, uh, Eric Turner. Uh, he's really savvy with a lot of new technology in, um, the, like utilizing things like, uh, uh chat GPT in just, Hey, you don't have to like have everything phrased perfectly. And if you want something to sound more professional in your show description, in your tweet, in your write-up, in your summary, you put some bullet points in there and then have them kick around a couple different phrasings and like, oh, I like that. I'll tweak that a little bit. Um, or it may be uh, like Aaron's skill set from a visual stimulation standpoint and like finding really, um, you know, creative thumbnails uh that when you're scrolling through that could capture somebody's attention to do that that is not my skill set I, I am not good at that I'm, I'm very thankful that i partner with people who are, are really really good at that kind of thing and it, that leans into what joe talked about in that hey what is the smartest way that you know it's not it's not just vanity like it, it's it you know, I, I think there is a piece of it to what you talked about, Pat, that obviously we do care about wanting to have our name and our voice out there and things like that and wanting there to be value in what we do. But part of that is also like, hey, you have an obligation to keep up in what the current technology is, how you reach people, how that comes across. And when I see people um, finding smart ways to do that and whether it's being able to find a short clip to promote your show and realizing that, Hey, you can put that on an Instagram reel. You're in a story. You can put that in a Facebook reel. You can put that on a TikTok. You can put that into a YouTube short and learning like, okay, I don't have to like find specialized ways to do each one. I just have to take the extra moment to figure out, okay, how can I find one of those things and then use it in each of those spaces? Because that may be the play, the way to reach it. And some of those things we've talked about, about how nice it is. You talked about Joe's reception, um, you know, around the Buffalo community. One of the coolest things or, or to Bruce, the comfort level in having content that, you know, isn't for everybody, but one of the coolest things is when you do one of those shows that you know isn't for everybody, but you get one of those messages in a DM or in a private message that really connected with that one person and knowing that that's cool. Like, that's awesome that it really connected with that person and realizing like the we use a a, a tool called uh, Spreaker for our uh, podcast, you know, uh, platform and networking and. I get messages back from people that listen to me on a thing that I didn't know existed. <laughs> like that, that I was not aware that was a thing that was out there in any internet site or app or anything. And be like, Oh, uh, cool. Thank you. That's awesome. I, I didn't even know I was on that just because it's a new one that they added and it goes out there and I'll get a message back from somebody that, Oh, I, I heard of you on whatever it might be. Um, and, knowing that like hey leaning into some of those tools that help with that or people that have that skill set or forcing yourself a little bit beyond your comfort zone to be able to do that um goes a long ways and you know god bless the people who like to spend time on facebook but there's a market out there that people want to listen to that and want to want to have their video clips on there want to have their discussions in the comments on there and if you're willing to invest in that time there's a place where people want to talk to you about what we care about and what we're putting out there um and finding more ways to engage with that and finding 
efficient ways to do that with our time, I think is my biggest challenge to, to be able to remain relevant in, in what we do. I think for, for podcasters, aspiring podcasters out there, that consistency is a very big thing as well. Um, you know, Joe spoke earlier about not necessarily to space me in a competition, and I fully agree with that. But at the same token, if I'm a regular daily Locked On Bills listener and two out of every five episodes, for whatever reason, there is no Locked On Bills that day, eventually I'm going to find something else to listen to. You know, and I might like that show and now I might start listening to that show as much. And that's definitely a way to to lose some of your audience. I remember having a conversation with Bruce. I don't remember if it was on one of these roundtables or it was just when I had Bruce on the show individually. But something that stuck out with me that I, I thought was weird at the time was because Bruce, the, the Bruce exclusive drops on Thursday and he would have an episode on Thanksgiving. And he used to be like, that's really weird, man. Nobody's going to be listening to the Bruce exclusive on Thanksgiving. And maybe I was completely wrong. But my point was, I remember Bruce just talking about the consistency of if you're going to have a show when you're supposed to have a show, then you have a show. Now, sometimes, you know, things happen, family emergencies, whatever. You just you're unable to you, you get sick and, and things happen. But I'm talking on a regular basis, you know, just to be consistent, kind of talk about the significance of being consistent. And I know sometimes you guys might have to get behind the mic and record when there are other things going on in your life, but you're supposed to have an episode and people, you know, in your cases, you all have large audiences. They're expecting it. So you, you got to do your best to deliver consistently uh, as possible. I'll start with you, Joe. Uh, real quick. I'll oh, give okay. a quick peek behind the curtain. Um, yeah. The number one reason that if we ever, if people ever see like shows or hosts or different personalities that aren't a good fit or don't work out with cover one, that's the reason. Really? By far, by far. Number one is we expect consistency. We expect yeah. that. Hey, yeah. Everybody has family emergencies come up. I have not been available every single Wednesday and every single Sunday for five years. Sure. There's an awful lot of them. <laughs> my, my percentage is real, real high. Yeah. Uh, and by far the number one reason of things not working out with a host or a content creator or uh, someone or one of our shows is I, we just didn't think they were built for it. And and that's, that's part of it is like, Hey, people expect this. We put out a schedule. We, we people expect content at this time. Um, and it needs to be an exception when it doesn't come through. Sure. What do you think, Joe? And now again, you're somebody who puts out not just five, Locked on Bills episodes, but also draft episodes as well. So, I mean, the plate is full for you, but I'm sure you understand and podcasters out there who are watching or listening, the, the value of being consistent with your work. Yeah, I think one of my guiding principles in life, which obviously applies to my work, is that there is no quality without consistency. Right. There is, I'll say it again, there is no quality without consistency. And so it's everything. I mean, I, I don't want to like, be redundant and say the same thing over and over again. But if you're not going to be consistent and you're not going to do the things that you tell people that you're going to do, there's no value to it whatsoever. There's no quality without consistency. So yeah, it's guiding principle of my life and everything that I do. And I certainly apply that to my podcasting efforts. Now, Bruce, like I said, you were kind of like what you said, and I don't remember when it was, but I know that it resonated with me because I kind of changed because there was a time where I was like, whatever, man, I miss a couple episodes. I miss a couple episodes, but I try really hard not to do that anymore. I just went on a cruise and I spent many hours pre-recording content so that even when I was in the middle of the sea, episodes would still drop that day. Just talk about, you know, like, like I said, you kind of taught me that with the consistency. 
to me, there's, there's two things when it comes to consistency. The first one is a moral issue and it's, I said, I was going to do it. And then that's it. That's just good enough for me. I said, I was going to do it. I, I told my listeners they would have a show on Thursday and I keep my word come hell or high water. It's that simple. Right. So I'm obviously, you know, you probably have heard the story before about when I, you know, told Joe Marino that I would do, you know, locked on bills. And I went to the hospital that weekend and I recorded the show. Like the show got recorded. I sounded like death because I had just gotten out of the hospital like two hours before, but I, I said I was going to do it. And so for me, it's very simple. I said I was going to, and that's good enough. Like that's, that's enough reasoning full stop. We can just stop it right there. The second reason is a matter of, I don't think highly enough of my own abilities to think that I can go in off season and have them not find somebody better. It's that simple. Yeah. No, I, I agree with Joe that, you know, the competition thing, but I, 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 I don't think so highly of myself that they're going to be waiting around for three months going, gosh, you know, I sure hope Bruce comes back. No, no, no. I can disappear tomorrow. And the, the market's going to keep going without me. Like I'm not that dude. Like I'm not the hinge point that's holding this whole Buffalo bills content creation together. If I drop off the face of the planet tomorrow, that's it. That's fine. It's all going to go. And so I think there's a, there's a humility to this, but there's also a pragmatism to this. And those are the two things aside from just the monetary benefits of being consistent. I think those are like the moral benefits of being consistent. Okay. Let me ask you guys this. Um, we talked about some of the challenges, you know, some of the difficulties that you guys still have podcasting. Even after all these years, we've talked about some of the comfort and confidence that you have doing your shows. How much attention do you guys, I'm going a little bit off script, by the way, or how much attention do you guys pay to, to the downloads to the numbers uh, in the case of Joe and Greg views on YouTube and how much, uh, how much stock do you put into that? Like you could do a perfect episode. The prep could be great. You could sound great. Your takes could be spot on. You feel like this is a tremendous value episode. And then for whatever reason, you go back a day or two later and you look at the numbers and they're nowhere near what you hope they would be. I'm sure that's happened to all of us here. Um, one of my challenges, because this episode's about you guys, not me, but I wanted to chime in with one of my biggest challenges and struggles is I, I can do that. Like I could have a great guest on or I could do a live show in Imperial and I'm like, man, everything went great. This conversation was really good. I really want people to hear this. I thought everything was really good. And then I look at the numbers and they're they're way down on what I expected or you know what it might've been the last week. That could be like really demoralizing for me, at least personally anyway. And sometimes it's harder for me to, to kind of get back on track where for others, they might just say, oh, you know, it's a day or it's a week or whatever it may be and just jump back on. But anyway, I'll start with you, Greg. Like, how much attention do you pay to, num to numbers? How much attention as a content creator should you pay to numbers? And, and how much negatively or positively does it affect you? I'll go in reverse order. Uh, affects me way more than it should. People shouldn't pay attention to them. I do all the time. Um, so obviously not, not quite to the degree, uh, of Joe, obviously who, who runs, this is his, his personal business in, in his livelihood. Uh, but obviously as cover one has grown, I have taken on a lot of the business side of that and I do our payroll. I do our, yeah. you know, just going through and, you know, confirming each transaction as we have our memberships, our signups, all, all the different bills that we pay, all the memberships we do, tracking all of the different expenses from just a tax standpoint. A lot of that goes along with, 
I also track every single show and all, all of our different shows across our brand and how they're trending and what the numbers are looking like and where good things come from, what are good habits and what are things that we think uh, register. And a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is testing. A lot of it is kind of playing around with different things. But we also learn a lot that way in going through and being able to figure out, hey, when you uh, talk about a show and have a draft expert on so someone like Joe uh, and you talk through different ones and then you're going to splice that into different shows or different segments as its own do your own SEO for that show and make the title of it the player's name because people search for the player's name and that's how you find it and each of those things are just lessons learned that you go through and figure out all right this when we do this this works when we do this this resonates this has longer shelf life for for content that's only possible if you do dig through and look at the numbers you can only learn from things if you study it and you track it and you measure it um so obviously i do a lot of financial analysis and industrial engineering from a professional day job standpoint i bring a ton of those different uh experiences and and you know, uh, skill sets into this because that's all I know. That's all I know how to do is, um, being able to analyze those things and look at it and learn from those and figure out how to improve in the future. And, uh, I, I think some people who do it tied to their self-worth, which again, I'm not naive. I'm not going to tell people, of course it matters and it feels good when people listen to your show. It shouldn't be whether you think you're doing a good job or not, if you uh, think you're putting out quality content, people will sure. find it. I promise. Um, but learning what things resonate and as you try different things or adapt and evolve and try to improve and you see compared to your other shows, does that thing I tried help amplify, resonate, connect better that I think you can only know if you are looking and tracking those numbers. So again, I, I, I don't want to be hypocritical here. I do think that people put too much self-worth into that, but I also do think there's a lot of value in reviewing it, analyzing it, digging through it, and trying to learn from it as you go. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at the numbers every day. Um, I think they're important, um, and not necessarily because I want to have as many is possible, but I want to know what's resonating, what's not resonating. Um, YouTube is so unique. Uh, I, I think on the audio side, those numbers are very consistent. I've I've obviously been doing it for over five years. I kind of have a feel for where those are going to land. The YouTube side, something could pop off. You know what I mean? Like you you just get you get the comments going or something. It 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 will pop off in ways that you never anticipated. So I I try to like okay, well what was it? Well what were the common denominators? And usually it's either well the bills added a player of some sort, or they had a catastrophic loss and all the hate listens want to come in and watch me be sad about the bills losing. Right. So that's, that's usually uh, the ones that pop off, but um, I, well, here's what I want to get to with this. And uh, my apologies. If, if one of you guys said this to me, it might've been Bruce. It could have been somebody else uh, at some other point, but when they were talking about numbers and they said, some, somebody said this, they said, if you were in a room and you were doing your podcast and there were 50 people in that room, would you take it seriously? Of course you would. Yeah. Of course you would. And so like if you're doing a podcast and 50 people listen to it and maybe that's and I don't know what numbers are for people. And that's discouraging to you. That's still 50 people. Like imagine that being in a room. And you don't get to 75 or 100 or 1000 or 10,000 or 50,000 without the 50, right? So I I I think they matter, but it, it doesn't need to take away from what you're doing. Now, if you if you're getting fifty, if you've been doing it for years, you're doing the best you can, and you're getting fifty. 
might might not be for you, right? They might not be resonating with people, but I, I still think that there's some value to like, take it, like if those numbers aren't where you want them to be, imagine though that many people being in a room and you did a presentation to them and how seriously you would have taken it. What do you think, Bruce? Anyone who has looked at any of my show titles or show notes recently will probably tell you that there's probably not somebody who cares less about it than I do. I, um, I cared a lot about it when I first got to Buffalo Rumblings, and I'll tell you why. I cared about it because I wanted to prove to them that they did the right thing by bringing me on. That's why I cared about it. I wanted to make sure that they knew that they didn't make a mistake and that I belonged. And then once that threshold was crossed, once I was like, yeah, I can play in this space. I, I, I see it once a week when I go to do my show because it's on the front page. Right. And aside from that, I'd, I, I've never looked aside from that. I know full well that if I put Josh Allen in the title, I will get more listens and I refuse to do it. So it's just, it's just the way it works. I, I, like, I, know I, how it works. I can vouch. There is no one in our space who cares less about search engine optimization than Bruce. I can swear. I can vouch for that. 100%. Yeah, it's just, I just, I, I, I do this for me. Like I, I like to do it. Once I cross the threshold, right. Of I belong in this space. Like Buffalo rumblings is, is, is glad to keep me. Then I'm just like, okay, I, I don't, I don't have to prove anything at that point. It's not, it's not going to be a job for me full time. It was never going to be a job for me full time. Uh, I'm not a, sure a lot of people would be interested in an anonymous podcaster, right. As part of you know their, their roster. And so for me, I, to me, your level of care should be your level of ambition. What are you going towards, right? Greg's trying to grow a brand, man. He's trying to grow cover one. He sure. put him in charge of the business side. He better daggone well pay attention to this. You know, Joe better daggone well pay attention to this, right? They, they need to, they should care. I don't need to care. So I don't. And because if I do things that are consistently outside my need, I'm just going to stress myself out. You're doing a bunch of things and you're causing yourself a bunch of stress that you don't need. If I needed to, then I would. For a minute there, I was in charge of the Buffalo Rumblings vidcast side, right? I didn't want to be in charge of that. I was just there. It was just kind of a thing where I was there to set it up and set up payroll and set up the situation. And I cared for that time because I needed to care for that time. And then I stopped doing it and I stopped caring about it. And I have no idea how the vidcast network's doing for Buffalo Rumblings. I haven't even looked. And so... <laughs> For me, it's a matter of just care as much as you need to care for the responsibility that you have. And That's so the, I think the stress comes when you start to step outside that. And I don't step outside that. All right. Well, I got one more topic for you. I, I also want to make a statement, too. This is not, we're not going to dive into this as a topic, but kind of want to make a statement, advice, people podcasting out there. I would say, listen, you can learn a lot from people by listening to them, listening to other shows. You three, one of the, the biggest reasons why I've wanted to have you three on going on four years now is because I kind of feel like I learn different things by watching or listening to all three of you. Every time I turn on the Bruce exclusive, I feel like I'm going to learn something. And I do, for sure. Uh, when I turn on Lockdown Bills every day with Joe, I kind of feel like even though you're talking to thousands of people a day, it almost sounds like you're talking to me. You know what I mean? It's almost like you're talking to an audience of one, even though you have an audience that's really big. With Greg and with Aaron on cover one, I'm almost like jealous of that natural chemistry 
that the two of them have. And I'm always trying to replicate that with other people, which you can. It's really hard to do. You either have chemistry with somebody or you don't. If I didn't know any better, I would I would think that Greg and Aaron have known each other for 25 years and that they've been doing a show together for 15 years. And I just think that's something you can't replicate. So anyway, my point to everybody out there watching and listening is watch other shows, watch their styles, what they're good at, and kind of learn from them and implement that into what you want to do uh, with your show. Last topic here, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate your time. Navigating social media. I mean, that's part of the gig, whether you want it to be or not. Social media is important. How important it is, maybe, you know, that varies on people or how much you let it get to you. This is probably my biggest weakness. Uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I get too emotional. I, I just ramp up too much. I'm an idiot. I say some stupid shit sometimes where I should just shut up. And my, you're not going to win an argument. You're not going to make someone change their mind. And it's something, a process I'm still learning. But anyway, uh, we'll wrap up by doing this. All three of you just kind of talk for a minute about navigating social media, because it obviously can have tremendous benefit for you, for your brand, for your show, but it could also be a real pain in the ass. And you see the best of people and you see the worst of people. Uh, I'll start with you, Greg. So I'll, I'll say one, I'm I'm jealous of the discipline that the two gentlemen on the show with me have me compared compared to myself. Um, both of them are very good at either removing themselves, removing the other people, not swimming in those waters. Um, I have just accepted that I, I am what I am. I I enjoy, I genuinely enjoy debating and arguing things. Like it's not uh, like I, I like the sport of it. I, I enjoy the, the feeling of it. I, I feel, I see, I can find myself and feel myself taking a contrary view to what I even think or agree with just for the fun of it, to see if I can win an argument on something I don't even really believe in all that much. <laughs> and it's, it, you know, it's just self-awareness and, and comfort level. I've gotten better slightly. Uh, over time of dialing myself back, letting myself remove myself from it and, and not going too far down the rabbit hole. But I like it. I enjoy it. I like arguing and debating about things and I let myself do it um, just because I have fun with it and, and I want to be able to get into it sometimes. So um, I try to like save me from myself sometimes and i've gotten better about i know myself well enough professionally in my day job like where i just have to flip my phone over and or put it in the other room because i got to get stuff done and i can't trust myself not to go back to that argument or like to see if somebody else replied back again because i want to go back at them again um but i also know that i like it and enjoy it and it's part of the fun of having a platform is people do care about what i say uh so i let myself swim in those waters more than I should. But um, it's, you know, I, I do pride myself on I'm pretty self-aware. I, I know my, I know my strengths, but I also know my weaknesses uh, and it is what it is. And, and I've come to terms with it. What about you, Bruce? Um, quickly here. I mean, I kind of wish I could be like you sometimes. I know you've mastered the mute function quite often there on Twitter. Maybe I, I should do that as well. Although I'm kind of like Greg too. I kind of like sparring. I just take it over the line sometimes too much. But anyway, what's your take, Bruce? 
as I mentioned earlier, I think we consistently think sometimes that social media is an acquisition tool when the metrics yeah. have proven that's not the case. Um, but I'll tell you what it is. I think it's a relationship deepening tool. I think there's plenty of people who listen to my show and then I, I know this because they've emailed me. Uh, they listen to my show and then they go find me on social media because they, they want to get to know me better. And so I think there's a level of ability that I have to humanize myself. And I know that's more difficult for me because you don't see my face. I'm not using my real name. You don't know anything about me. And so it's even more important. It is harder for me to connect to my listeners than it is for people who have a real face and have a real name and have a real job and have a real family. No, I have a real family, but it, it's, it, it's harder for me, which means it's more important for me on the other side, if I want to connect with them and the people who listen to my show and the people who have emailed me, the level of fondness that I have for some of these listeners, I cannot possibly explain to you. They have been gracious. They have been kind. They've been encouraging. They've checked in on my mental health. They've checked in on my physical health. I mean, these are people who treat me better than most of the people over the course of my life that I've ever had the opportunity to call friends, mind you. Right. Yeah. And we can talk a lot about the definition of friend and why we overuse that term. But I think it's really, really important that we know that they they're here to get to know me. So you know what? Yeah, I am going to tweet that funny thing that my wife said, because you get to know me. And when they know you, they're going to give you grace because that's the, that's my experience. They've shown you grace. So when I get on my pod and I say something stupid because, you know, that never happens. But when that happens. They show me grace because they know me. And the only reason they got to know me when they otherwise wouldn't have is because I let them in on social media. And so that's the way I navigate that. And there are people who I don't want to let in and I have no interest in connecting with. And those people get muted, which is why there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them <laughs> on social media. But for me, I just think we, we, we frame what it is wrong. And we think that somehow like this is the universe here. We're out on X and whatever happens on X, man, that's the universe, right? You're not going to acquire a lot of listeners, but you might deepen your relationship. It's more of a retention tool. If you want to look at it from an efficiency standpoint, it's much more of an efficiency tool and a retention tool than it is an acquisition tool. It's a relationship thing. It's social media. And we, we, we do the media part, but we forget the social part. Yeah. I'll give you the last word here, Joe. Well, first of all, uh, Pat, you make whatever changes you need to make on your social media behaviors, but please keep us posted on Pat versus food. That's the one, <laughs> one request. <laughs> I, I, yes. Nothing quite like Pat suffering through a, a Ben and Jerry's pint. You know what I mean? At 11 yeah. o'clock on a Friday. We need to know about it. <laughs> Must please. have that content. <laughs> or or what was it? how many chicken sandwiches you ate that one time? Yeah. I die every time I see Pat versus food. Uh, and Greg, you make whatever changes you need to make, but your non-bills tweets are honestly the best ones, like where you're just like quote tweet something. <laughs> and and like you take me back to my headspace of like when I was 18 years old sometimes, and I just bust out laughing. And, and so I, I appreciate that about you. Um, but I, I find myself a lot more in, in where Bruce lands with this. And, and my enjoyment for social media is just so bad. Like, I just don't like it. Um, I, I need to be better at it. I, I've, I think I said the same thing last year, but. Uh, it's just, a, it's, I don't know. It's toxic. You get on there, you say something, it's everybody wants to get you and gotcha and dunk on you. And it's like, does anybody want to have a good football conversation? Cause I want to, uh, you know, and the worst conversations are the ones between rival fans. Have you, have you paid attention to this with dolphins, dolphins fans, bills fans? Like it's horrible. 
Like just yeah. be like the tribalism, just because you have a different rooting interest. It's, it blows my mind, especially because you personally had nothing to do with the result of the game. Nothing. You didn't do a thing, but you're going to sit there and like treat people like dirt because, or, or make fun of them because something their football team did. It's like, like Bruce says, it's people in costumes playing a sport. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you talking to other human beings like this? I just don't understand it. So I, I, I'm so detached from it. I'm so um, disinterested in so much of it. I ignore so much of it. Um, and so it, it's it's a very difficult spot for me because I know I need to be part of it. And and hearing Bruce phrase it the way that you did that, it's not a discovery tool. It's a relationship tool. Uh, I, I'm so happy about that because there was a point in time where I think you could build a brand on on X. Right? You can't do that right now. If I post a, t- a tweet with with a link, 3,000 people are going to see it. If I post a uh, just uh, take, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to see it. Like Twitter wants you to make content for Twitter. And that's a heck of a smart idea, right? Like, why would we just want to you to come here to go other places? We want to keep you in our house, right? Like, I totally get it. And for as much as I think there's been some bad, like, trajectory with it. I'm also kind of happy about it because I think <laughs> I think it's putting me in a spot where um, my natural desires to stay away from it it allows me to do that and not feel as bad. That's a great take, man. And we're we're gonna That's leave it there. Um, I want to thank Greg. I want to thank Joe. I want to thank Bruce again. Fourth annual buffalo podcast is round table god willing everybody will be healthy and able i'm already looking for you looking forward to year five (laughs) i appreciate you all very much i appreciate everybody who's watching and listening i'll be back with a brand new episode uh tomorrow take care